so excited that we, we are going back to Mark, and I'm going to be sharing uh, with us from Mark chapter 7. Uh, we'll, we'll read from uh, verse 1 to verse 23. Uh, but before we read the scripture, I'd like just to mention um, a few things. So the Bible event um, we are about to look at is the interaction between um, Jesus and the Pharisees, uh, his disciples as well, um, the disciples uh, included. And um, Jesus clashed with the Pharisees over the issue of what makes a man clean or unclean. So he clashes with the Pharisees, and they are debating between what, what makes a man clean or unclean. This is the issue of tradition versus commandments. My aim is to walk us through these 23 verses and examine together Jesus' response to what makes a man clean or unclean. So we are going to examine together the response of Jesus from the 23 verses in terms of what makes a man clean or unclean. There are three things that I'd like to share with us. The first one is beware of doing the right things with the wrong motives. That's the first one. And the second one is beware of corner cutting spirituality. And thirdly, beware of outside in spirituality. Those are the three points that I'd like to share with us uh, from the verses we are going to read. I am going to ask uh, Lolo to come and read for us. Great, guys. Grab your Bibles or your phones if you want to follow along. We're starting chapter 7 from verse 1 of Mark. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of their elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of their elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship, teaching as doctrines, in, sorry, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandments of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by the tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about this parable. 
And he said to them, Then you are also without understanding. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters, his, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said to them, Whatever comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of one man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they are what defile a person. That's God's words. Father Lord, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity we have to be um, before your throne of grace. Dear Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, as, as we share, as we go through your words, that you'd humble us. Dear Lord, I pray for joy. I pray for an open heart to receive encouragement from you, an open heart to receive correction from you, an open heart, of oh God, to receive blessings from you. Dear Lord, if there are maybe people are following from uh, online right now, God, I pray we're exploring the, the claims of who you are. I pray for them, Lord. I pray for homecoming. Those who have been searching for years, I pray that you would review yourself to them. In your name, Christ Jesus, I pray. And I pray for myself, Lord. I pray for humility as I share your words with your people. In your name, Christ, I pray. Amen. Great. Thank you so much. Um, thanks, Laura. Um, there is a word that is mentioned in verse 11, Coben. And I want us to, I would like to, 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 to comment a little bit on that word to explain it before we can then go um, to look at each verse. So the, what is Coben? It's, it's in verse 11. The word Coben is only found in Mark 7, 11, and uh, the interpretation is given in the same verse. It means devoted to God as a gift. That's what it means. Devoted to God as a gift. The way described something to be offered to God or given to the sacred treasury in the temple. If something was Coben, it was dedicated and set apart for God's use. Now, the Pharisees, they took this legitimate carbon offering and used it in a bad way to defraud their parents and enrich themselves. As a result, the law of God was nullified. So they took what was great. They took this amazing gift and they misused it so that they could enrich themselves and neglect their parents. And Jesus tells the Pharisees that their misuse of carbon was an evil act. It was an evil act because they were avoiding to do what they should be doing. God never intended that the good principle of devoting something to the temple should be twisted to dishonor parents. God never intended that. It 
It's like you get your aging parents, you go and entrust them in the hands of caregivers, then you forget about them. But yet, every Sunday you come to the building, you open the Bible and read, and you lift up your hands, and you help even the poor, but yet you forget your parents. So this is what these guys were doing. Carbon was never an issue to Jesus, but it was just the fact that these guys, they took it and they misused it. Different cultures and religions create different rituals and customs that people of that particular culture or religion are expected to obey. For instance, let me speak about my own culture. I was born and raised in a culture where, in a culture where um, men were regarded with much, are regarded with much value and protected when it comes, for instance, to the scene of adultery. You get that they'll treat the women not with respect when they do such an act. They'll treat them harshly. They, they, they will punish them. They will call the elders from, from both families and they'll curse the women. But nothing is done for a man. Now, in other ways, you take sin and you make it become gender-based. Yet sin is sin. There is no such a thing as a sin, a gender-based sin. This is only for women. This is for men. No, that is unbiblical. Sin is sin. Now, let's go to verse 1 and 2. We see that the delegation of Pharisees and theological experts were sent all the way from Jerusalem to critique the ministry of Jesus. It appears that they had already made up their minds to say that Jesus is not a good guy. He's not a good man. He's a bad man that would bring harm to the people of Israel. They had already made up their mind. And what they saw did not impress them at all. In verse 5, we are told the Pharisees accused Jesus. They attacked Jesus saying, why is it that your disciples are eating without having to wash their hands? Why is it that they are living not according to the tradition of the elders? Instead, they are eating with unclean hands. Jesus, instead of protesting against their accusation, Jesus did not protest that the Pharisees were unfairly judging him for his disciples' behavior. He did not protest. And I guess the reason, because their behavior reflected the teachings of Jesus. They were well taught. And I want to speak to Christ's followers, first of all. If you are following me online or those of you who are here, I want to say this. When people look at us, they, they see Jesus. When you say you are a Christ follower in your community, in your workplace, whenever they see, this is what happened here. It was not Jesus who was eating. These guys were eating, but Jesus was accused because of their behavior. The reason they accused Jesus was simply because they expected people to do whatever they said without question. Even if some of their traditions made no sense, they wanted people to follow and to do those traditions, even if it was not biblical. 
In verse 3 and 4, the Pharisees had added many laws to the law of Moses. The law that God had given them, they added many things to, the, to it. We've got the Bible. We are in danger of adding so many things to the word of God or even subtract from the word of God. So these laws that they added to the law that Moses, was given to them by Moses, they called them traditions of elders, of the elders. And these were often considered even to be taken, they consider it higher than the scriptures. These traditions become more important than the word of God. And the issue of washing hands when coming from the marketplace was not just so that they could remove dirt from their hands. They made it become something of a process like to purify yourself because you were in contact of Gentiles, you were in contact with people who are unclean, therefore you have to wash your hands. It's become more like an, a ritual which they have to perform. They consider themselves to be more important than other people. Christ followers, we have to be very careful of doing things just because maybe people insist that we have to do those things or say that God wants us to do these things. One thing I can ask you to do is to make sure that whatever you are asked to do, you have to go to the word of God and compare and ask and read and find out for yourself, is God calling me to do these things? If you are not yet a Christ follower, can I encourage you when you see something that is happening in a particular local church or maybe a particular behavior of Christ followers or group people, a group of people claim to be Christ followers, if they are doing something wrong, instead of rejecting Jesus straight away, can I ask you to go to the word of God and let Jesus speak for himself? Because I believe that when you read the word of God, God will speak to you. Don't be too quick to throw Jesus away. Don't be too quick to judge or reject his claims because of a particular group of people. I encourage you to go to the word of God. And this leads me to my first point. Beware of doing the right things with the wrong motives. Yes, it is possible to do and say all the right things, but to do it for the wrong reasons. It is possible. In verse 6, we see how Jesus responds to their question. The question asked in verse 5. Jesus responded with a quote from Isaiah 29, verse 13. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. These guys are using their mouth to say all the right things, but their heart is far away from me. Jesus called them, he called them hypocrites, which simply means mask-wearing actors. Do you have that mask there on the screen? No. You know, mask-wearing actors. Sorry, it's not clear. But what, what, what it simply means is that, you know, what you are saying is not what is on your heart. You are actors. You are acting. You are claiming to be Christ's followers. You are claiming to know God. You are, you are claiming to understand, you know, you claim to have the understanding of the scriptures, but yet you are not. We can do and say all the right things, 
but we can be motivated by wrong reasons. Let me give us an example. Maybe a desire to, to, to seem or to look godly before other people so that you can earn a reputation, you know, a spiritual reputation. Jesus insists that a deep love, a deep heart love for God is what should motivate us to say and do the right thing. Your love for God and my love for God and the knowledge and the desire to know and to understand who God is, our understanding of God's love for you, for me, and our love that we get to give back to God is what should motivate us to do the right things. It shouldn't be based on any other thing. For instance, let's look into the culture that we find ourselves in. Voting is the right thing to do. Every responsible citizen, your vote counts because you want change. You pray about it, you want to see change. But we have to be careful that we don't turn political parties or politics become a religion. You're wanting to do the right thing, but you start to do it for a wrong reason. We turn the or elevate some values of a particular political party above the scriptures. In verse 7, we continue reading, they worshipped me with in vain, their teachings are merely human rules. See, very interesting. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. And he continued saying, you have fine way of setting aside, the, setting aside the commands of God in order to observe or set up your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reveres father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. Thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Now I want you to think about this. Imagine Jesus have to say that to you or have to say that to me. What a terrible thing. If Jesus look at your life, he look at my life and declare thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. Imagine Jesus have to say that to you. Here we see Jesus insisting, he insisted that the kind of a Jewish life and faith that Pharisees practiced or promoted was not what God was calling them to do. It was not what they were teaching people was not what God wanted them to teach the people. They were promoting the wrong stuff. They were promoting their own ways because it was benefiting them. What are the things that are you promoting in your life for your personal comfort? What are the things that I'm, I'm promoting so that I can have my way? 
And here we see, as, as we just read, that these things, that tradition, they were considering it above God's word. They were putting it above God's word. They were undermining the scriptures. The things that we can, we can take in our culture, it doesn't mean that all things are not redeemable in the culture. There are stuff in the culture that are great, but we have to be careful that we don't get things in our culture get to dominate the way that we have to live for the glory of God. We have to be careful. The moment culture becomes more important than the word of God, then we are in danger. The moment some traditions become more important than God's word in our lives, we are in danger. Move on to my second point. Beware of, cutting con- of corner-cutting spirituality. Beware of corner-cutting spirituality. Yes, it is possible to find religious excuses to disobey the clear teachings of the Bible. It is possible. Corner-cutting spirituality is very common on our continent. It is very common in the country here. The thing about man-made religion is that many small inconveniences and sacrifices are imposed on its followers. But no significant large sacrifices are called for. Especially those that cut against the grain of our selfishness. No wonder Gandhi would say, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Gandhi said that. He said, I look at you guys who are claiming that you really, you know, you, you are claiming to be following. You know, he looked at Jesus. In other ways, when I read his quote, he kind of like, I agree with this man. He has sacrificed a lot for you guys. But it doesn't look like you understand when you follow him. Whatever you are doing, the way you are living your life, it doesn't correspond with what he has done for you. If you claim that this man paid the highest price, he saved your life. If you call him your savior, if you call him your redeemer, but when I look at your life, this is Gandhi saying, it does not impress me at all to follow the man. That's heartbreaking. You know, imagine you're having a conversation with your friend and they look at you and say, you know what, all that you say about the guy you are following, Jesus, your savior, I like the guy. I like what he did. I like whatever you're saying. But when I look at you, I have a lot of question marks. I was expecting an amen. Listen, Mother Teresa went on, on this quote of Gandhi. Here's what she said. Gandhi felt fascinated at knowing Christ. He met Christians and felt let down. So he met Christ followers, but he felt let down. In other words, it feels like this man was so close in his investigation, in trying to understand. I like their God. I like this Jesus because there is only, you know, it's impossible to find a man who can give his one and only life. He's never seen. You won't find him in corruption. He went to the cross. He died. He rose again. This man, I, I am more interested in this guy than I am in the guys who are following him. I don't have it all together. 
Time and time, I fall into my own trap of my selfishness. I believe you do as well. But I want you to know that Christianity is not a man-made religion that isn't calling us for some Christ, uh, some sacrifices. In fact, it calls us to massive sacrifices that we are to do. But we don't do them because the pastor wants us to do those sacrifices. We do it because we understand what Jesus has done for us. Your relationship with God, first and foremost, has to be a, an individual relationship with him before it can come a corporate relationship with other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, it is important for you to look and measure. Let me ask you a question. When it comes to the point of sacrifices, some of you, God has blessed you with a space, a big space, a place where you can accommodate three or four people every week. Sit with them in your couches and open the word of God, debate on the word of God, feast on Jesus Christ, try to talk about this. But when you look at your couches, you think because they're too beautiful, they're very expensive. You don't want people to come and sit on them. Yes, 15 years later, they're going to look the same beautiful. Is that what you are going to stand one day before God and say, Father, here I am. Is it what you are going to give as an account? Go before the cultures today and look at them and say, you are beautiful, I bought you so expensive. But you know what? We will use you whether you get damaged or not. People come in this house, we are going to feast on Jesus. We are going to open the word of God. We are going to read the Bible and we are going to gather to heat and do life together because, you know, it's by doing life together. That's the reason why the Holy Church, they look at them and call them Christian because they were amazed by the way they live their lives. And we are to do the same. Do I get it right? No. I wish I would do more sacrifices for my Lord Jesus Christ. Your space is not, but I want to encourage those of you already doing it. I want to say well done, continue. In this community, every space you have, I want you to know, your space is not your space. God gave it to you for a reason. God gave you that place where you are for a reason. And I want you to ask, when lastly did you add people in your home? People are not like you. People don't talk like you. People don't go to the same entertainment, do the same things as you. When lastly did you add people in your home? And share me with them. We are to do that. Yet we understand the times we find ourselves in. But you can sit even outside with those people. Bry with them. We shouldn't be asking and, ble- uh, and, 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 and begging. This is me, I'm saying. I'm speaking as Andre. Every time I think about a community of believers. Every time I read the book of Acts. I say, God, I don't want to be a leader who is begging people. I want to be a leader who teaches the word of God and show your people what is required. I don't want people to follow because out of obligation. I want them to understand what you've done for us. I want them to understand that you've paid a high price for them. When lastly did you look at your time and said, you pause 
You said, I'm going to sacrifice my time. I'm going to pray for an hour for this country. I'm going to pray around the issue of corruption. I'm going to ask God to say, raise men and women in this nation who are going to lead us into the future in the direction that they're going to do the things that you want them to do. We don't want people oppressing the poor. We want to see godly men and women raised in this nation. When lastly did you sacrifice your time to go and pray? Or maybe all your prayers are just about God give me. God give me. God do it for me. God do it for me. When lastly did you pause and say, God, I'm praying for our continent. I'm praying for the elections that are happening in Ivory Coast. There is a danger or possibility of a lot of people dying. I'm praying for Nigeria. I want peace there. I'm praying for the women who are raped every day every single day in the DRC. God, when, when lastly, or are you just looking at your life? Everything is around your life. Everything is around your family. Everything is around what you do and what you want and what you want to get out of this life. I am not perfect. I don't have it all together. And I wish I had it all together, but I don't. What I'm saying here is the cry of my heart for my own life. I know that when I stand before God, how am I using my home? How am I using whatever God has blessed me with to his glory as a sacrifice? Friends, I, we don't have to stand here as leaders of this community begging, begging people to volunteer in God's, in God's church. No, we don't have to. We don't have to. No wonder Gandhi had the reason. Because he looked at the way Christ followers were living. He said, if you guys understand what this man has done for you, therefore something should really attract the world the way you live your life. We are in danger of a faith that inconveniences very shallowly. Just enough to make us feel like we are good Christians, but in the inside we are not. We are in danger of that. We can say all the right things. We can quote the scriptures. We can even show emotions to one another. But from inside, are we really real Christ followers? We carry on reading from verse 14. And he called the people to him again, and he said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside of a person that by going into him can defile him, can make him unclean. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. These are the things that make the person unclean. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. Then we jump to verse 19. Since it enters, he said to them, the things that enters the man's body, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled, thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what makes a person unclean, defiles him. For from within... 
out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within and they defile a person. They make the person unclean. This sin, this is the only place where in this chapter Jesus named sin, he mentioned sin by name. He said, these are the things that are going to make you unclean. It is not the food that comes in. He tells the parable food. It's going in your stomach. It's not going in your heart. But the thing that comes out of you are the things that are going to make you unclean. It leads me to my final point. Beware of outside in spirituality. Jesus overruled the food laws that Moses had given Israel. He gets in their face. He said to them, hear me and understand this correct. It's not. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can make him unclean. It is the things that are coming out of a person that makes the person unclean. Jesus certainly did not object to them washing of their hands before a meal. He did not object to that. But the problem with them is that they made a small, you know, a heap of sand. They make it look as though it was a big mountain. They look at the Table Mountain, for instance, and they want to compare it with Kilimanjaro. The conditions are different. The size is different. And they want to make the issue of washing ends become more important than the things that God was warning them account to. They were trying to avoid to do what the scriptures are saying and they wanted to do the things which seemed very easy to them. This offended Jesus. We can offend God as well. We can offend him when we take things which are minor things, things which are not important, and we try to make them more important. When I say that Jesus certainly did not object to them washing of their hands before a meal, think about the condition that we find ourselves in today. If Jesus is to walk, I think, if Jesus is to walk in Cape Town today, I think he wouldn't object to the idea of putting on a, a mask. I think, personally, I think that's my view. He wouldn't object it as long as it's not connected to eternal life. As long as it is for the health reasons, I think it, it will be fine. You know, Jesus got to, 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 the, to the stores and please, Lord Jesus, can you please sanitize? And why should I sanitize? He said, no, because, you know, there is a problem with COVID-19. I think Jesus, if they said, you have to, because if you don't, therefore there is no life for you. There is no eternal life. Jesus will look at them and said, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to do? Why are you making this become a big mountain? Yet it is not, especially if it goes against God's word. They allowed an important tradition to become too important. And when that happens, when it happens in your life, when it happens in my life, when it happens in Common Ground Church, we are not far away from becoming a man-made community. When that happens, when we start to value other things above God's word, and we are far away from him. 
When we read the gospel, we get the impression that Jesus had little tolerance for religious rituals and traditions. He focused on obeying God and loving people. Now, let me ask you a question. How is your obeying of God going? How is your obeying of God going? How is my obeying of God going? I'll repeat again. I desire to obey God each and every day, but I wish I was at the, I wish I would have reached a certain level. There is no level to reach. I need to recognize and acknowledge my need for mercy each day. That's why I'm asking you, how is your obeying of God? And how is your loving of people? How is your loving of people? Now, when it comes to obeying, are there some stuff in your life that God would like you, some sacrifices that God is calling you to that you are trying to avoid, or you have been avoiding for a long time? There's stuff that God is wanting, is calling you to, some sacrifices. But you have been avoiding, you've been pushing it down, and clearly you feel the conviction and the whispers of God wanting, to do, wanting you to make that step, but you are not. That, that's what it means to disobey God. How is your obeying of God? How is your loving of other people going? I repeat again, people who don't look like you. How's my loving of other people going? I wish it was an easy thing for me to love people who are not like me so easily, but it's not easily. But you know what? That's the reason why the Holy Spirit is there. We can go before God and say, help me. But is the desire there? If the obeying is not there, how can be the obeying there if the desire is not there? It has to start with a desire to love others just the way you love yourself. Or is it all just about you? If you don't say what I want you to say, therefore I'm not, in good, I'm not going to be in good terms with you. If you don't do the things, all, it's all about you. Everything should be just about you. If all things is about Andre so that Andre can look good, there is something wrong. Then I don't have true love for others. In verse 20 to 23, Jesus tells what he makes a final conclusion. He said, he tells us what makes a man clean or unclean. Jesus measured being clean by a different set of standards to to his accusers. He had a different standard. He measured what it means to be clean by a different standard. His accusers, they looked at externals such as religious rules and rituals, but Jesus looked at the heart of a person. He saw man's heart. A pure heart leads to godly conduct. If you have a pure heart, it leads to God's godly conduct. If you want to measure whether you are clean or unclean, you don't measure based on the things that you do according to your culture or tradition, you measure based on the word of God. How are you doing in accordance to the word of God? Where is your heart? I believe Jesus wants us to understand that 
our belief and the behavior are to be based on the word of God, not on any religious traditions. Here are some few touches just to qualify my three points. When what we know about God is disconnected from who God really is, we are in danger of developing ways to appear godly without prioritizing God in our hearts. I'll repeat this again. When what we know about God is disconnected from, the, from who God really is, if you've got a, a wrong view of God, if you've got a wrong picture of who God is, you are in danger of developing ways to appear godly without prioritizing God in your heart. And we see a lot of that on our continent. We see a lot of that in our country, where you want to appear godly so that you can gain a reputation. But what is happening from within is not really okay. Jesus called the Pharisees, he said, you are hypocrites. You mask-wearing actors. And God wants us to remove the masks. Not the masks that we are wearing here, the face mask. That's what I'm referring to. And please, because I saw when I said that some people are removing the mask. No. <laughs> Don't remove the masks. Uh, I mean the, the, the facial mask. That's what. You know, we, we should remove that. We have to be real. We have to be who we are. We, we are, we are first and foremost children of God. We, there, there is no need. In fact, God is so concerned about you and me that he is concerned about your service to him. He is concerned about your well-being. He is concerned about my well-being. Then he is concerned about your service to him. If it was because of service, Jesus wouldn't have come to die for us because I was a sinner in desperate need of a savior before doing anything, but yet Christ came and paid the price for me. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect so that he, he never waited for us to be perfect so that he could pay the price for us. When you sit down, you think about that. You'd say, my service to the Lord is merely a small token. Because if you look at what he has done for you, what he has done for me, and what he continued to do for us. Are we together? If we make every effort to cover our sin and hide our need for repentance, we clearly have not understood the gospel. That was the problem with the Pharisees. They did not understand. They wanted to stand to, to appear godly before other people, but they, they neglected their need for mercy. They neglected their need for God's help. How are we to respond to Jesus? Firstly, I want us to know that the times have changed, but the hearts of men have not. When you think about the, the Pharisees, there is a possibility, there is a danger for you and me to become modern Pharisees. I hope you'd agree with me. There is a danger for us to be modern Pharisees because the heart of men has not, uh, haven't changed. Times have changed, but our hearts haven't changed. For the Pharisees, their response was to cover sin instead of confessing and repenting. Now the question is, how about you? 
If you have to answer in terms of how we are to respond to Jesus, if this conversation was happening and you and I are standing there, how are we to respond to Jesus outside? We have to recognize our need for mercy and not to have confidence in self-righteousness. It is not enough. We have to recognize our need for mercy before the Father. The mercies of the Lord is new every morning. I would say we are not to look down on other people because that's how the Pharisees live their lives. Their lives were not to rescue others, but their lives were to undermine other people so that it can, you know, they, it, they were living more to benefit themselves, but we are not to live like that. When I, when I read Luke chapter 18, and I get excited to see that the tax collector went away justified, not based on his deeds, but God's grace and mercy. There is no chance for any of us. We all need God's mercy. We all need God's grace. There is no chance for any of us. We have to surrender to Jesus each day in the way we talk. The way we walk, we have to surrender our lives to Jesus. Maybe you are listening to me, and uh, every time you hear that the name of Jesus is mentioned, you reject. Every time you hear people say, Jesus is a Savior, you don't get to understand. Every time you say, you know, he paid a price for you, and, and you don't get to understand. Uh, it is okay to be in that position. I was there. But maybe the question I have to ask you is this. What do you plan to plead as your defense? What are you relaying on? What do you, what do you plan to plead as your defense? If I have to advise you, I would say that, you know what? Before you can maybe go and point fingers or look at others and say this and that and that, Maybe you have to recognize your own need for mercy. Start with you. Because once you recognize your own need for mercy, it will transform how you judge others. It will change how you judge others and hold them to account, particularly for things that God is not holding them to account for. Because when you understand that you need, you need, you recognize that you need God's mercy, it is going to help you because it will send you, it will, it will force you to go on your knees and to search, you know, to read the scriptures. And you will understand the revelation of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Get to know the word of God for yourself. Do not let other people or allow other people. Get to know the word of God for yourself. Go to the word of God. Let Jesus speak to you. And that will help you to differentiate between traditions, human tradition and divine scripture. And to Christ's followers... Let me say this. We should be doing the externals. We should be helping the poor. We should open our homes. We should do all these things. But we have to do all these things with hearts that are engaged. Not the heart that is disconnected. The heart that is engaged towards the people, our brothers and sisters, even the strangers. The heart that is engaged with God. 
not doing the things because you want to look good. Just a quick recap. Beware of doing the right things with the wrong motives. It is possible to do and say all the right things, but to do it for the wrong reasons. Beware of corner-cutting spirituality. It is possible to find religious excuses to disobey the clear teachings of our Lord Jesus, of, of, of the Bible. Beware of outside in spirituality. I want you to understand there is no tradition or anything that it should be above the word of God. Jesus overruled the food laws that Moses had given to Israel. It is the sign and the symbol that there is no any tradition or law that should be above God's word. I want us to take a time of reflection. I'm going to call the band to come up. Now, as the band comes up, if he, those of you are following me from, uh, um, you are following me online, I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you to take a moment. I want you to take a pen. I want you to take, whether your phone and those of you are here, I've got a question of reflection that I would like us to, to look at together. And uh, I want you to think deeply about your life. There are things that I want you to write. I want you to think deeply about your life. And I want you to write things down. Write your answers down to this question. What belief and behavior do you hold so dear that they seem important than clear biblical teachings? What belief... And behavior do you hold so dear that they seem important than clear biblical teachings? There are things in your life, there are stuff in your culture, there are things that you hold too dear that you can't let go because they bring you so much joy. But let me tell you, it is not. Those things won't give you Full satisfaction, how do you call it, the word again, sorry. Satisfaction. At least you understand I can write down what is one of the weaknesses is there for me. But I want you to take a moment as the band is just playing on the background. Take a moment to reflect on the message and the question in front of you. Write down the behavior and the belief, the tradition you have battled with for years. I want you to write those things down. Maybe those of you are here, after writing those things, I want you to join me and those who are following online, I want you to join me in the moment of prayer. I want you to present those things before God. The weakness with the Pharisees was that they hid their sin. Their problem was that they never see a need for repentance. But I want to say to you that Jesus is inviting you. God doesn't want you to take those worries, those behaviors, the belief. He doesn't want you to walk with them alone. God wants you to set you free from them. 
You want to set you free, completely free from them. You want to set me free from them. Now join me as we pray. Maybe you can pray from within just your hearts and, and, and cry out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I surrender my life to you. It's your first time you've been exploring the claims of Jesus said, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. Lead me, Lord Jesus. I am done. I cannot carry on. I surrender. I put my weapons down. And today come into my life, Jesus. Come lead me. Come be my Lord and Savior. Come. Come, Jesus. Dear Lord, thank you for the privilege that we've had together to go through your weight. I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, that you will continue to do your work in and through us. Dear Lord, I pray that you give us the ability, Holy Spirit, to resist things in our culture that are not important. In our lives, things that are not important. Lord, I pray that we will hold your words, which has the final authority, which is the final authority of our lives, that to hold your words so high than any other traditions or any other behavior. Dear Lord, we don't have the ability to stop things in our lives. We ask that God, won't you come intervene, Holy Spirit? We pray that you stop that behavior, set us free from it. For you came to set the captive free. You came to give us life and life to the full. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for my brother who just prayed that prayer. Thank you for my sister who just prayed that prayer. I want you walk with them, not just today. God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to lead and guide them. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your, your touch. Thank you for the time together. Thank you for your presence, God. Not only with us here, even those who are following online. God, I say thank you. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.